Hey everybody, welcome back to the Podcast Daily. It is Monday. It is the last day of the college football competitive season. That is Berm. I am Austin Ward, and we are in Los Angeles and uh, not preparing to cover Ohio State tonight. We had flights. We just got them like at halftime of the Peach Bowl. We're like, shoot, might as well use them, right? Yeah, that was a that was the plan. Uh, we did decide to to come out here and check out the land of of Los Angeles, uh, the city of angels, as they say. And, um, you know, we're, we're here to take in all the sights and sounds of the national championship day that uh, unfortunately should have had Ohio state in it, but that's one of the, the problems with losing. You don't get to play in the games that you thought you were gonna, you know? Yeah, that's not ideal. I've seen, uh, a lot more TCU fans out in Los Angeles and Southern California than I expected. Uh, plenty of Georgia fans as well, so could be a cool atmosphere for them. I imagine that Ohio State fans would have taken over L.A. as well. Um, I don't know. I, I'm more curious about anything like how many Ohio State fans will actually watch on Monday night, knowing how painful it is uh, for their – or how much they're over it, because I know that they're probably not. If they'll watch, if Georgia wins easily, if they would imagine – been the whole time being tortured thinking that that was their opportunity to beat TCU and claim the first national championship for the program in 2014. Um, you and I are actually not planning on going to the game. We could, we're not, um, but we'll definitely watch because we're college football sickos. Um, do you think that there, how many people do you think will tune out because of the pain? I mean, I think most Ohio State fans are legitimate football fans and, and want to watch. I do think that's what makes this particular uh, postseason loss feel per- maybe a bit more stinging than even the one against Clemson in 2019 as you look around on it. Because if you go back and, and, and you beat Clemson in 2019, you have to play against an LSU team that was one of the best teams in, in college football history at this point. And maybe it doesn't feel quite as decided or as easy to imagine a victory. I think Ohio State could have beat LSU that season with just this number of stars they had on defense. But um, it, that does make this one feel a little bit, you know, more painful, but in truth, you know, we're out here for, to help grow uh, the podcast and working on some things with that front. And we want to, we wanted to be here for this anyway, but it does suck that we don't have the game to, uh, to cover on, on top of it. Yeah. It would have been a lot more enjoyable with some of the content that we had planned and with, you know, a lot of the regular faces like Bobby Carpenter and Zach Bourne and Justin Zwick out here alongside us that would have been um a pretty enjoyable way to attack that game and what could have happened for ohio state but it won't uh, so instead they're a week and change into off-season reload mode now there's still another uh roughly week plus to go until the transfer portal the deadline to enter the transfer portal until that ends and then when the nfl draft decisions have to be in uh, for anybody at Ohio State that is weighing those, uh, not a fun time to be right in the middle of it. And you know, several people asked us on OhioState.Rivals.com, like, are all these decisions made? Or is there really uncertainty for Ohio State? Do we know what everyone is doing? Really, there are a couple situations where we understand Ohio State players have not decided what they're going to do. Others, let's say Paris Johnson and Dwan Jones, have been pretty clear about their plans all along. Maybe they don't feel like they have to make an announcement publicly because there is no obligation to do so as long as you submit your paperwork to the NFL. Uh, so I thought maybe we would look at some of those situations and the impact 
coming and going for Ohio State um, and which ones are most significant to you or which ones you think uh, maybe have the most concern at this point going forward? Yeah, I mean, I touched on it or, or last week when we were discussing some of the biggest questions uh, that are coming this offseason. And the one to me is Tommy Arkenberg. That's a guy that changes what Ohio State can do on defense next year. It changes the confidence. It changes the competence. It changes the entire uh, the way that the defense is built because you do have guys like C.J. Hicks that you want to get in the mix. And we do know Steel Chambers is coming back. But when you're looking at at replacing a guy like Zach Harrison up front and Teron Vincent and uh, Jerron Cage and, and Teron Vincent, you, you're going to be looking at, uh, and now you lose Javante Jean-Baptiste, and you're trying to find someone that you just know is going to be there in the middle and is going to be the reliable piece because the back half of the defense is going to be getting a, re, a revamp as well, losing um, you know Josh Proctor, losing Ronnie Hickman, losing Tanner McAllister. So you really do need Tommy Eichenberg um, to give a hint as to which way he's leaning pretty quickly, I think, for Ohio State because the, the he changes the entire tenor uh, of what the defense needs to do in the next month. And uh, that, to me, is the most important guy by by a wide margin. Um, I mean, we don't expect any surprises like Paris Johnson or, or Dewan Jones saying, oh, you know what, screw it, I'm coming back. But yeah. um, those, are the only, those are the only two that would be of that sort of impact other than Tommy. Uh, yeah, and – Ohio State is always in a, a sort of delicate position. You want to be able to present information to your players if you're the Ohio State coaching staff, and you want them to do what's best for them. You don't want them to come back and be unhappy with the decision. You told me this was going to be, this was going to happen, this, that. You can't guarantee any of that, really. Uh, some of us could, we could step off the curb outside the hotel and get hit by a bus. Uh, there's no guaranteeing anything. Let's that hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, but I, I, haven't seen a bus, really I haven't seen a bus on the street. That's true. Um, doesn't seem to be great public transportation here. Anyway, that's sort of beside the point. That would make it even weirder if a bus did hit us. But that's, uh, yeah. again, neither here nor there. Ohio State coaches want to make sure that they have the best information. Tommy Eichenberg sought that out in December, and he got uh, draft feedback from that the group of NFL evaluators. They've changed the way that they do it. They don't specifically say uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks anymore. Uh, first or second or go back to school are really the way that they put it. Because once you get past those top two rounds, it's pretty much impossible to predict where teams are going to go based on need, based on fit, uh, based on their own evaluations. They're really just to give you a general idea. And Tommy Eichenberg and Kate Stover both have been encouraged that they should go back to school. Now that doesn't mean that they will. It also doesn't necessarily mean that they should. Everyone's situations are different. I'm, I'm way past the point in my career. I, I can say objectively, I think that Tommy Eichenberg would have a major impact for Ohio State, that he has, seems to really enjoy the experience of living with Cade and Steele, that he's got a chance to win the Buckus Award, that there will be name, image, and likeness opportunities that are maybe more uh, stable, potentially even more lucrative than being a middle-round draft pick, which is probably uh, what would happen. Just That's just my guess. Um, so how do you present that information? You want to be careful not to feel like you're pressing your thumb too hard on the scale. If you're Ohio state, if you're Jim Knowles, um, you know, but you would also like, if you're Tommy, I can really like to know what other plans may be available. He doesn't seem motivated by the name, image and likeness stuff, but that is going to be part of any conversation. There's the legacy part. 
you know, I know that, you know, guys like Bobby Carpenter are in his ear and telling him, you know, how great it was to spend one more year with his best friends. He's a pretty good example uh, of, of what you can get out of it and making that choice in the experience. So uh, Tommy, as you said, is certainly the key one here. Although I wouldn't minimize the impact that Cade Stover can have if he elects to return as well. If he doesn't, we, are, we know that Ohio State has already been involved uh, hosting tight ends for visits out of the transfer portal. Uh, I, I really like the idea of Joe, uh, Joe Royer on the rise and Kate Stover uh, taking one more step as a physical blocker and having both of those guys who can do multiple things out on the field at tight end. I, I think that would be a huge deal for Ohio State. If it doesn't, you're really looking at a pretty inexperienced group uh, in and probably – need to go into the transfer portal to get a veteran tight end. So uh, that would change the roster management situation as well. So those are the two that we don't like they're they're not decided at this point. And I think that there's a, a significant case for both being really pivotal in planning for 2023 for Ohio state. Yeah. And you can understand for each of them why they may decide to leave. I mean, uh, Cade Stover certainly at tight end was a guy that a lot of people didn't really have any any real understanding of, of what he could do athletically or what his game was about uh, prior to this season. Uh, but then he, he got hurt at the back half of the year and he gets hurt even worse against Georgia. Now he has to look at it from a, does it make more sense to risk getting hurt again uh, in the college game where you maybe miss out on that first contract, even as a third or fourth round pick or fifth round pick, who knows? Um, but at the same time, that the words you mentioned that, that was really important, I think, in this whole thing is just legacy. What do you want? to be remembered for at Ohio State. And when you're talking about two Northeast Ohio guys growing up, coming in in the same recruiting class in the 2019 class, that uh, is, a, is one of the classes that has been sort of overlooked um, as far as their contribution to the program. They came in, they stayed committed to Ryan Day after uh, Urban Meyer left. And these guys, they have a lot of, of, a lot of interest in making sure that they leave the program better than they found it. And I don't know that they could say that right now uh, because you are looking at a team that has, you know, lost two games in a row and is heading into a very challenging season ahead. And I think that um, they want to leave it in a different way. And, uh, but you can't dismiss the fact that they have opportunities that people dream about their entire life. And so uh, for Tommy, the opportunity to come back and be the leader of that defense and, and be a, a clear-cut front-runner for the Buckus Award early in the season. I, anyway, I personally think he was probably the best linebacker in the country this year. I understand why people might have voted otherwise, but um, you're looking at the the opportunity to have a tree in Buckeye Grove and 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 your name basically, you know, entrenched in Ohio State football history forever. And that does matter rather than saying, "Oh, I left after we lost to Georgia and Michigan, and and we were out the door." I mean. I think those things are all factors that play into it. But ultimately, Tommy's family, his brother Liam plays for the Miami Dolphins. He, they've been, they've seen the process up close firsthand. They know what it takes. Um, Cade, obviously, is a player that has played four positions in four years at Ohio State. And I, I think that he is probably more served by a return season to Ohio State because he needs to develop at, a, at tight end a little bit more than Tommy does at linebacker. I don't know that Tommy moves too much more in one direction in the draft, like evaluation process. I think he's a third or fourth round guy, no matter what, just because he is somewhat scheme limited. Um, he's not one of those athletes like Micah Parsons or something. You can move around and put him in a, a seven different spots. So um, 
like you have to weigh all these things and it's not as easy as, as uh, you know, everyone would think I'd imagine. Yeah. There is, you know, another key one that we don't know maybe how strong lean is one way or the other, which would be Matthew Jones. He has somehow some way, another year of eligibility available. Uh, I talked to him before the peach bowl and he said, I don't know. Uh, not going to worry about that right now. We'll talk about that decision afterwards. I don't know if you have heard anything different than me in the time since then, but that's another one that tips over dominoes for the death chart. I'd be returning starter at right guard. Ohio State would have potentially, you know, and likely Donovan Jackson, Luke Whipler, um, and Matthew Jones all on the inside. What a big deal that would be. Luke Whipler, I guess I should include that he also is considering his options moving forward. Uh, he could declare for the NFL draft. I I think that many have encouraged him to develop a little bit more physically and get yet another year of experience, but that is on the table for him. I mean, certainly if they lost both Luke Whipler and Matthew Jones, that would be a, a tough pill to swallow for Ohio State. The flip side being, of course, if you get both of them back and have the entire uh, nucleus on the interior of that offensive line, how, how big that would be when you were missing both tackles. Uh, Ohio State's going to have to be involved and remains involved looking for an offensive tackle who can come in and help. We expect Josh Fryer to man one of those two spots, but you look at that uh, that looming out there, also a pretty big deal when you're talking about a new quarterback coming in to run the offense. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything new on Matthew Jones. The The real decision is, again, similar to Tommy Eikenberg, is he going to improve his draft stock by coming back? And I don't know that he will. You looked at a guy that played an incredibly, uh, you know, challenging season in 2022 where he was hurt the entire time, um, mm -hmm. had the more serious ankle injury that, that, you know, kept him out of the Michigan game. I and mean, this is a kid that has played his butt off and he played really, really well against Georgia. That's the tape that NFL people are going to see last and see him against guys like Jalen Carter. And, and I, I do wonder if, if that game has the capability of turning his – lean one way or the other based on, hey, I, I did pretty good in this game straight up, and I, I can prove that I can play against NFL-type athletes uh, on down-to-down -down basis. But um, it's weird because when we talk about the NFL draft and decisions that get made, you're not normally talking about, oh, is this fourth-round guy going to leave? But fourth-round guys are what build a program and make a program in a place like Ohio State and how you keep something uh, moving in the right direction. As you mentioned, when you are replacing a quarterback, you are replacing both tackles. And so if you can increase the odds of Kyle McCord or Devin Brown surviving the first couple games of the year by having that three-man nucleus in the middle of that line come back, that changes the entire season for Ohio State. So um, it is not a situation where anyone has been like – itching to make a decision or make an announcement. I think a lot of that comes from because a lot of these guys are just waiting till the college football season is over completely. There's no real value, as you said, in, in hurrying to make an announcement. But, um, you know, we're on Monday, January 9th, and, and you should expect a lot of movement in the next two or three days, I'd imagine. Yep. Mayan Williams didn't make it crystal clear, I guess. It wasn't a full-scale I'm returning, but it was a lot of social media clues suggesting so. And then I was told uh, late last week that he had informed Ohio State of his plan to return, which is something that we had expected going back to the middle of the season. Um, we didn't talk about that late last week uh, on any of uh, the podcast dailies, but 
big deal for Mayan Williams because I think that he played last year as the most effective running back for Ohio State. Certainly had to work through a couple injuries that limited him. Uh, he had the knee at the midway point of the season, high ankle sprain late in the year that obviously had to work through. Then, then more bad luck right before the Peach Bowl with the stomach bug. But uh, he's he's in another situation that's similar to what we've talked about. How much will Mayan Williams draft stock change next year? Probably not much. I think everybody has a good feel for what he does, what his upside is, uh, how rugged of a rusher uh, he can be. Uh, so I don't think there's any uncertainty about that for NFL talent evaluators. And I think that Mayan Williams does feel a lot of what you're talking about with Tommy and Cade with the legacy part to go out and do it again and win more games for Ohio State. Because it seems like every time he gets on the biggest stage, he gets robbed of his opportunity to make an impact there. Yeah, I mean, I think for him, the the goal is to show NFL talent evaluators that he's capable of playing a full season. I mean, that when you're at running back, it's a short lifespan as it is uh, on the football field. And, and if you can't get through a college season unscathed, that is going to provide some question marks for NFL folks about, hey, is this guy really worth it? I think what we've seen from Mayan when he's healthy has been a shock to people. It's been a surprise that he's able to be um, not as effective as he is. He ran for 6,000 yards in high school, but that he has shown the ability to be a bell cow type running back for Ohio State, but he's only been able to do that in spurts. So next season, when you expect Ohio State will have Mayan Williams, uh, Trayvon Henderson, Dallin Hayden, uh, and potentially Evan Pryor, you know, back in the mix, at least getting some of the carries in the traditional running back role. Like, I think it takes some of the pressure off of, of Mayan to be that guy. But at the same time, it's still an opportunity to say, hey, I can get through a whole season and, and we can – um, you know, you can utilize me in different ways. He proved this year that he could catch the ball out of the backfield. He was an effective pass blocker uh, in, in stepping up and protecting CJ Stroud at times. Uh, it's just about putting a more, you know, consistent path to the to the NFL. But it is, it's a weird position because running back, you just, it's a three or four year career at the most once you get to the NFL. So if I had to say like, uh, like we talked about Tommy and Steele, we thought they were first, or Tommy, Steele, Cade, et cetera. Like the expectation was those guys would come back. I, the, Mayan Williams making the decision to return, which it seems like he has, was a bit of a surprise to me if we're talking like on the other side of things, because it's just there's not a huge plus side for running backs to come back for more hits uh, in the college game level. Yeah. Level game, yeah. college game level, college level, whatever. Yeah. You said weird position. It's a weird time uh, on the schedule for Ohio State waiting on some of these decisions, which will also then impact what they have to do uh, to take the next step in terms of roster management with uh, building next year's recruiting class, but more urgently, more urgently what they need to do in the transfer portal. Uh, but the college football season is going to end on Monday night here out here in Los Angeles. Does TCU have any shot, Burr? They have a shot. Uh, they just have to do what they did against Michigan, and that means play – mistake-free football on offense, really, and you can't give extra possessions to Georgia. Uh, they are certainly not – I think a guy like Sonny Dykes done an incredible job this season, but he had a month to prepare for Michigan. I think if you were to stack up the coaching staffs and the teams between Georgia and TCU, if you ask which team is most prepared to bounce back on an eight-day turnaround, an eight-day window and prepare for the next game, I would say it's Georgia because I think they can put their base stuff out there and win more so than TCU will. Um, but I'm not going to bet against Sonny Dykes because he seems like a really special type of head coach. So uh, I, I think Georgia wins, and let me just say 
I think that's right on the Vegas number. What a what a cop out. Is it? I don't know. I thought it was thirteen. I'm a real pro. You are. You're such a sharp. It's incredible how quickly yeah. you've adapted to the sports gambling landscape. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Vegas called and asked. Vegas called and was like, "Hey, Byron, what do you think?" And I was like, "I think this." And that's where they. That's where they got the line from. Huh. I don't believe you, but that it sounds plausible. I'm sure somebody could have. Burn book. Yeah. Burn book. Oh, should we apply for a gambling license? I don't see why not. Okay, it's a great idea. We're going to get right on that. Now that we are done filming uh, the podcast daily for a Monday to get your week started, we appreciate you joining us. uh, And we're getting ready to get a lot more as we get building in here into 2023 with the whole crew. Uh, Hope you enjoy the national championship game if you're watching or whatever you do with your Monday night if you don't. But thanks for watching this. That's Berm. I'm Austin. We'll talk to you later.